The show is supported today by Harry's, so thank you, Harry's. And listeners, you can get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel if you go to harrys.com forward slash full. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today, we're talking energy and industrials. It's Thursday, 21st of September, and we're going to be discussing the US auto market. Joining me on Skype is Motley Fool contributor and senior auto specialist, John Rosevear. Hi, John. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thank good you. Good afternoon, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me today. How's your How's your morning gone so far? Oh, so far, so good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just... Uh, watching all the news emerge on electric cars and so forth that's mm-hmm. the big thing right now so yeah, a- <laughs> that'll be another show <laughs> <laughs> amd right is uh taking uh nvidia's breakfast well i don't know if any uh, <laughs> i've just read the headlines long, that, that's a much longer story than i think we have time for <laughs> uh, uh yeah the, the, the question the, the yeah there's a longer story there as to Tesla's relationships with some of its key suppliers and what exactly happened there, but but we'll talk about that another I'm time. I'm sure we will. Yeah, <laughs> it just it shows you how misleading headlines are and how uninformed mm-hmm. I am. Um, so uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the auto industry today. After posting record sales in 2016, selling 17.6 million units, automakers are starting to see a slowdown. Sales of automobiles are down 2.1% for the first six months of this year, and the Detroit Detroit three, sorry, uh, Ford, GM, and Fiat Chrysler all posted declines for the first half of the year. Uh, GM sales down 1.8%, Ford 3.8%, and Fiat Chrysler almost 7%. So, John, this year looks likely to end the two-year streak of record sales. Uh, The narrative in the press right now is very much on the wider debate of have we reached peak auto? You, however... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say you've been in the industry uh, for 20 years commentating and and, uh, being an analyst, so I wondered if you could give us kind of the the long-term view on this. Well, auto sales are cyclical. They move somewhat of a leading indicator, we say, because when consumer confidence starts to fade, people don't buy new cars. Uh, Businesses also don't buy new cars, and and commercial sales are very important for some automakers, particularly Ford and GM. But looking at a little bigger picture, We've been in a rising cycle really since late 2009. I mean, we, we all know the economy and auto sales blew up in 2008, and they stumbled around in 2009. But since two, if, if we had a graph of this, and Sarah and I did earlier, so you'll just have to play along by audio, <laughs> uh, you, you'd see uh, the pace of auto sales picking up steadily from about the end of 2009 through about the end of 2015. Then it kind of went up and down last year. It was kind of just enough to eke out a record over 2015, but then it's been coming down uh, in 2017. And and you look at that and and the obvious conclusion that suggests itself is, okay, we're past the peak of the auto cycle and that has some implications. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think uh, just to play devil's advocate for one moment, some people are suggesting that there's, there's currently uh, issues that at the minute that are the different and kind of more stressful for the for the industry that we haven't seen before. For example, the glut of um, used vehicles in 2014, 3.3 million vehicles were leased, which was 23% of auto sales that, that year. The suggestion that we're seeing is that this is going to create an overall glut in the market and pressure uh, prices down. We haven't seen that yet in new car sales, but what do you make of this? Do you think that's going to happen? Well, when when you have a glut of used car sales, we point to a couple things that happen right away. First of all, the sales of used cars, the prices of used cars, nice, lightly used cars, the kind of cars you get off lease, are, are 
under some pressure. Uh, they're slipping. That has a couple of impacts on the automakers from an investor's perspective. First of all, uh, a lot of these leases are, are underwritten by captive finance units. Ford has an in-house bank, Ford Motor Company Credit. Uh, Ford Credit is is bringing these, these leased vehicles from 2013, 2014, whatever, to auction, and they're getting less than they expected. Uh, that impacts the profitability of those lease deals they did two, three years ago, whatever it was. Uh, it also makes it a little harder for them to lease now because, of course, leases are priced on what we call residual value, which is the predicted value of the car at the end of the lease. Uh, if values are coming down now, that means uh, that the, the analysts who rate residual values for the automakers uh, are, are going to bring values down. And that means they have to either price the leases higher to the consumer, the monthly payments have to be higher, or the profits get squeezed if they're going to hold the level. So that makes it a little harder to lease. Um, you see some automakers actually backing away from leasing somewhat because of this, mm -hmm. uh, because the profitability is not what it was. Uh, so that there's that. Uh, impact on new car sales, we haven't seen a lot of that yet, but if the economy starts to slide, you will, you sure will. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that supply will get bought up. Uh, when consumers, you know, when consumers are feeling pricing pressure, uh, they postpone new car purchases that are optional many times, but if they need a car, uh, you know, they may limit their spending and say, all right, I'm just going to get a used one now and I'll replace it when things improve. There are, there are a good number of people, not so much businesses, but individuals who do that, and that'll suck up some of that uh, excess inventory if it starts to happen soonish. Okay. If not, used car prices will be under pressure. <laughs> yeah, I think they've slipped 6% so far uh, this year, but dealers mm -hmm. are kind of maintaining their discipline in terms of not slashing prices indiscriminately that we have seen before. Uh, there are the longest term loan offers in the industry's history. Um, is that carried by the dealer or is that carried by uh, the automaker themselves? Uh, it, the automaker's captive finance units can um, underwrite a percent. I mean, they make a percentage of the loans that their dealers make, but dealers often work with, with independent companies as well. Uh, like, for instance, to go back to the Ford example, Ford has an optimal credit profile, and, and folks who come in with lower quality credit, the dealer may know other financing companies who will work with them if Ford, you know, would rather not have that deal or would rather or won't offer it at a competitive interest rate. But but what we see, uh, I mean, going back to sort of the way we framed all this, with the with the cycle in decline, with the pace of sales slowing. What happens is to show growth, the automakers, uh, some of them will resort to jacking up discounts. Generally speaking, historically, this is what has happened. You've seen incentives go up. Uh, that Those incentives, the, the cash back or 0% financing or price cuts, those are financed by the automakers. And the higher they go, the, the bigger the squeeze on profit margins. That comes out of their profit margins. Uh, we have seen, we, we, we've heard a lot of talk over the last five, six, seven, eight years, really since 2009, uh, about how we're going to resist the temptation to, to boost our discounts. Uh, you know, we're going to cut production uh, rather than discount in order to keep sales up. We would rather lose the incremental sales and maintain the profit margins. Mostly we are seeing that. We This, this, this was... Uh, notably, the talk of former Ford CEO Alan Mulally was famous for this. We'll match supply to demand. We'll match our production capacity to demand, meaning we'll move it up and down to keep uh, inventories from getting out of hand. Uh, GM has been doing it for the most part. Their incentives haven't come up too far. Fords haven't come up much at all. Uh, 
some other automakers are discounting more aggressively. Mm -hmm. uh, whether that puts further pressure on companies like Ford that are trying to hold the line over time, we'll see where they think sort of the optimal business decisions are. But so far, the discounts aren't skyrocketing. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ford would rather come in and say sales were down 2% last month than say, you know, we gave away some profits so we could show a gain. Mm -hmm. I think it really shows that they must have a finger on the pulse for the market too, if they can respond that quickly. I know manufacturing cycles probably aren't that long, but they are long enough that um, they would really have to be ahead of the game. Uh, they they mostly are. I mean, obviously they talk to their dealers all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are people at Ford whose job it is to talk to dealers and get the sense of this, and 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 at the, all the other automakers as well. And and that turn feeds into production decisions. It doesn't quite move that quickly. That oh, trucks are off this week. Let's cut trucks next week. It's not quite like that. It's more quarter by quarter. Yeah. But but yeah, it, it's fairly quick. It's quicker than it used to be. Yeah. Um, so I, I talked a little, I mentioned a little in the intro about the, the first six months of this year, but August um, results show that cars and trucks declined 2%. Um, some of this can be attributed, interestingly, to Hurricane Harvey, which has affected auto sales to the tune of about 20,000 cars, Houston being the ninth largest vehicle market uh, in the nation. I gather, though, John, that this is a double-edged sword, um, given that the storm could boost sales, uh, unfortunately, you know, as people uh, replace flooded vehicles. What do you make of that? It's hard to say how this will play out. I mean, I saw one estimate that said 200,000 vehicles had been lost as a result of Hurricane Harvey flooding. Um, Houston area is a big market in particular for Ford, uh, mm -hmm. for trucks and so forth. Uh, General Motors, the GMC brand, is very strong in the Houston area as well. Uh, Ford's, uh, Ford's truck sales weren't bad last month. Uh, but but there is a sense that that they have lost some. Uh, their dealers have lost some inventory, although less than a lot of people expected. And and so Ford and GM and the other companies uh, will replace that, and that'll that'll give them a little boost. And then those cars will go on to be sold, and will will you know drive up auto sales generally. Um, yeah, it's hard to say right now. The impact is not dramatic, though. Mm -hmm. I think. Of course, we've got more hurricanes out in the Gulf. So yeah, I know. Who knows? <laughs> it's, it's awful if, uh, if you live there. But um, I mean, a lot of these automakers really need a boon. If you look at the uh, numbers for Hyundai, sales were down 25% in August. Nissan, 13%. Fiat Chrysler, 11%. Um, some bright spots in the August numbers, though. GM sales were up 7.5% year over year. Toyota, 7%. Volkswagen, 9%. So these three automakers that fed pretty good in uh, August have one common theme. They all posted strong SUV crossover and light truck sales, uh, which we're going to talk about a little bit in a moment. Uh, but before we do that, I want to thank Harry's for supporting our podcast. Um, I love the story behind Harry's razors. Two guys basically got sick of paying so much for razors that they started Harry's. They bought their own blade factory and began selling blades online for literally half the price razors usually sell for at the drugstore. I personally have a lot to thank Harry's for. My husband um, began growing a beard a few months ago. <laughs> the, the beard was impressive, uh, though not my cup of tea. So I gave him a Harry's kit, which comes with the razor handle, five blade cartridge and shave gel, which are beautifully boxed, by the way. And he got my not so subtle hint and shaved the beard. So happy wife, happy life. Uh, he's now a, also, it's very true, John. Uh, he's now also a big time fan of Harry's, saying it's the most comfortable shape he's ever had. Uh, so hopefully, uh, we will be having no more debates over the beard. I have to confess, I'm also a huge fan of their shaving gel. Um, I'm hoping that he doesn't listen to this and hear that I've been stealing it. Uh, but Harry's is so confident that you will also love their blades that they're giving you a free trial set 
uh, a, a trial set for free. It's the same trial kit I described earlier, valued at $13, and it's totally free. You just have to cover the shipping. So to get your free trial, go to harrys.com forward slash fool now. That's harrys.com forward slash fool. And I should add that it actually also makes a great gift because it's so nicely presented, even if you're not trying to campaign against a beard. So, John, after that, um, <laughs> we mentioned before uh, the ad that GM sales were up uh, 7.5% in August. Uh, no small part thanks to their new line of crossovers. Is that right? G- G- GM has been rolling out all new versions of its whole crossover line starting a uh, little over a year ago. I mean, they're, they're coming out in phases. Uh, enough of it. And, and, I went to a press conference at GM headquarters in January when I was in Detroit, and and I remember Mary Barra saying, yeah, we see the U.S. market kind of weakening a little bit, but but we think that our new crossovers are going to help carry us even if the overall market starts Mm -hmm. to soften uh, and preserve profitability because new products, generally speaking, can be sold with slimmer discounts even in a healthy market. So they tend to be more profitable, uh, especially if they're strong entries. And so far, GM's crossovers have been quite good. But these are Chevy, GMC, Buick, and Cadillac crossovers. There are a couple more coming this fall and then uh, more new Cadillacs, I think, next year. Uh, but there are a whole bunch of new ones. Uh, Chevy Equinox, uh, the GMC Acadia and Terrain, uh, the big Buick is coming this fall. The big Chevy Traverse is also coming this mm-hmm. fall. It's a whole family. They did a, they've been working on these for a few years now, and uh, sales have been very strong. Equinox sales were huge last month. Yeah, I think they were, it, was, it was up some ridiculous number year over year. 47%, I think. Yeah, and the and the the old one was not a shabby seller. I mean, it was a dated product, but but they they had still been doing well with it just because there's such tremendous demand in the sec mm-hmm. in that in that market segment. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think um, you know I find this whole storyline pretty fascinating. Uh, the changing consumer preference to SUVs and crossovers. So car sales are just becoming a smaller part of the market. I think it's now pegged at 38% of the overall market. Um, mm-hmm. Last month, light duty sales were light duty truck sales were up. 3.3%, crossovers a whopping 7%, large SUVs up almost 5%. So it, it's a bright spot in the market that kind of needs this right now. Like you were saying, um, Mary Barra talking about them kind of carrying carrying them through this this weak moment. And a lot of them, I know a lot of the autos are, are thinking the same thing. Um, where do you think this is coming from? Do you think it's, it's just the result of consumer confidence or do you think this is a long-term change in preferences? I think it's a long-term thing. We were, we started talking about this really three, four years ago, even before oil prices fell. Uh, what has happened is that, go back 10, 15 years, SUVs were truck-based. They were built on pickup platforms. They were heavier. They got truck-like fuel economy, which is to say not great. They rode <laughs> like trucks, et cetera. You know, go back and look at like a 2004 Ford Explorer. It's a truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the modern Ford Explorer uh, and and these other things, we call them crossovers because they cross the capabilities and and general shape and size of SUVs, uh, but they're built on car architectures. They're unibody instead of body on frame for for listeners who know what that means. They're built more like cars rather than trucks. Uh, They're lighter in weight. They handle more like cars. They get get somewhat better fuel economy uh, just because of that change. There are, of course, now much more fuel efficient engines than were available 15 or 20 years ago. That's another thing. So it's kind of, people have been kind of seeing these really all through this cycle since 2010, 2011, so forth, more and more as the sensible alternative. It gets the it gets the fuel economy of a car. It has the ride comfort of a car. It's easy to drive like a car. 
but it's it's got tons of space for your junk in back. It's got room for five <laughs> kids or seven kids or you know whatever. You can you can carry half the baseball team in there. Uh, I was a baseball parent when my kids were younger. I can relate to this. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 it's and and so it's an alternative to you know what people used to buy minivans for mm-hmm. 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, but people think they're somewhat cooler looking. Uh, Male customers, you know, who might have winced in a minivan, look at an SUV, look at a crossover SUV. Oh, yeah, that, that that's more my thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but at the same time, you know, female customers who might have winced at the truck like Ford Explorer 15 years ago take a drive in it and go, oh, yeah, this is more my thing. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it's just hit this sweet spot of, of engineering and development where uh, they've become very popular and people are coming in with their Camrys and Accords and Fusions and Chevy Malibus and so forth that maybe they have driven uh, for two or three generations and saying, you know, at this time I want one of those. Mm-hmm. I want a RAV4. I want a Ford Edge. I want, you know, whatever, the, these these new crossovers from GM. Uh, and just more and more people are migrating to them because, because they make more sense for families and uh, for empty nesters and even for older folks. Uh, if you've got lower back problems, it's a lot easier to get out of something like a Chevy Equinox and into it or, or you know, a Toyota RAV4 or whatever that is to get it out of a low-slung sedan, relatively yeah. low-slung sedan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I noticed that um, a lot of the commentary around this is focused on, you know, being at a prime position where baby boomers are looking to, to get the comfort of a large vehicle. Millennials are growing their families, so they're wanting the space, as you, as you said. Um, and you're seeing this mentioned uh, a lot in kind of the earnings calls. Toyota sales chief saying the consumer demand for light trucks has shifted. I need to build more light trucks and rebalance our comics. <laughs> you, you're seeing it all over the place. Um, Honda is also, the Honda division also commenting, many automakers are looking for signs of stability as consumers continue to head toward trucks and SUVs. So obviously this is... Honda, Honda and Toyota both had a funny problem last year where they were selling literally all of their compact crossovers that they could get to the United States. <laughs> and so they both needed to you know, look to ramp up production of, of Toyota's RAV4 and Honda's CRB. Uh, which they have been able to do, but they hadn't been able to show sales growth, even though dem- because they, I mean, they were selling them very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just didn't have any more available. The production lines that were that existed to supply this market had been maxed out. So they've reconfigured production uh, to get more here. Uh, but but those vehicles are doing very well. Nissan's Rogue is also doing very well. They're selling a ton of those. It's a, it's another vehicle in the same category, the compact crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of outside of the the compact crossover more more towards kind of the the bigger suvs but i think it's going to be interesting for investors to watch um what the bronco might do for ford i think it's anticipated to launch in 2020 uh it was discontinued in 1996 the marketing says it's going to be back and better than better than ever um (laughs) so we will see but i think for me i'm going to be looking at what this is going to do for fiat chrysler because it's certainly going to be a competitor for jeep especially um as there's a rumored premium off-road version so what do you think well, okay, the Bronco relates into another story, which is that for years, Ford sold a one-size-down pickup. I mean, Ford's bread and butter is the F-150, the F-Series, the F-150, mm-hmm. and the, the Super Duty siblings, the big pickups. It's America's best-selling vehicle line. They're everywhere. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you live in America, you've seen an F-150 yep. in the last couple of days. Uh, I, I mean, they're, they're just everywhere. Ford makes a ton of money off of them. For years, they sold a one-size-down pickup called the Ranger. Uh, the Ranger uh, was discontinued in the United States because they closed the factory that made it, which was in St. Paul, Minnesota, in, I think, the end of 2009 or thereabouts. Uh, it was it was one of the things they did after the economic crisis to ratchet down 
uh, costs because they felt like most of those buyers were, were, were likely to select F-150s instead because they had just revised the F-150 and so on. Uh, Ford, has, Ford launched an all-new Ranger uh, overseas. It was designed in Australia, and it's sold in some parts of the world as a commercial vehicle, and in other parts of the world, like in Australia, it's very popular as a 4 by 4 uh, people who would buy Jeeps here often buy Ford Rangers and go, you know, rampaging around the outback <laughs> and so forth. Well, okay, Ford hasn't had the Ranger in the U.S. in, you know, in several years. Meanwhile, GM has launched all new compact, all new midsize pickups, the Chevrolet, Chevrolet Colorado and GMC Canyon. GM pitched them a little differently. Rather than, you know, an inexpensive utilitarian truck, which was what the Ranger was years and years ago, these are somewhat more premium vehicles. They're they're an alternative to SUVs for, you know, uh, young customers who maybe have hobbies in the woods where they're taking, you know, dirt bikes into the woods or, or mountain bikes or whatever. Uh, you know, ski equipment. It's sort of the the off the outdoorsy lifestyle vehicle mm -hmm. uh, available in all-wheel drive with, with or four-wheel drive with with good off-road capabilities and so forth, but also with with nice interiors, with leather, with a good stereo and stuff that maybe wasn't emphasized before. And and GM's not selling these in the kind of quantities it sells its big trucks in, but they're selling a fair number of them, maybe fifteen, twenty thousand a month, and they're getting good profits at good margins and so forth. This is the market that Toyota Tacoma plays in as well. That's mm -hmm. the other competitor here. So Ford says, okay, uh, we have this factory in Michigan where we build the Focus, Compact, and 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 the C-Max, which is their hybrid. These sales are declining. These aren't that profitable. Let's move production of these out of the United States. And instead, let's use that factory. Let's build the Ranger at that factory. And then they said, okay, let's keep that factory busy. Let's design a brawny off-road SUV based on the Ranger's chassis to go with it. What do we call it? This was probably a two-second discussion at Ford. We call it, <laughs> we call it Bronco, of course. Mm -hmm. But this is going to come back. It's going to be like a niche product, I think. I think it's going to be Ford's take on the general idea of the Jeep Wrangler, which was what the original Bronco was way back in the mm -hmm. 1960s. Uh, you know, it's 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 not going to sell 30,000 a month like the RAV4 CRV does, um, or even 25,000 a month like something like the Escape does. It's a niche product. Uh, it will help keep that factory at full potential. Um, you know, they'll probably have two shifts on for a while, the, the producing Rangers and Broncos. Uh, it, it will flesh out their offerings. Uh, it's an easy product for them to do because it's based on the, on the architecture of the Ranger. Uh, they'll do it with, with dramatic styling. It will improve their image. They'll sell it at fat profit margins. People will love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I really think this is the way this is going to go. Will it make a huge dent in Jeep sales? Probably not. I think mm -hmm. a lot of this will be incremental sales. This will be people who might have bought a Ford pickup who say, oh, I want that instead, you know, or, mm -hmm. or, or, or who have a Ford pickup for work and want a weekend vehicle, and maybe they would have bought a Mustang once upon a time, and now they'll buy something like the Bronco instead. Yeah, I know, I know a few people who are really um, factoring the Bronco into the bull thesis on Ford as a reason for a buy, but from what you're saying, you think it's overblown, the anticipation is a little bit too much. It's not going to be that accretive. 
I don't think it's going to double Ford's profits mm -hmm. or anything. I think yeah. it will be a successful product. I think I think it will meet or exceeds Ford's goals for it. I think it will be very profitable. Um, if you are expecting F-150 numbers on the Bronco, you're going to be sadly disappointed. It's just not going to be that kind of product. Look at what Jeep sells with the Wrangler and figure um, some percentage of that. And mm -hmm. I think that's like 15,000, 18,000 a month, something in that neighborhood. So, you know, that, a good solid profitable vehicle you'll see them out on the roads but but it's 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 not going to transform Ford's North American business by itself okay. uh, on the other hand it will be good for a lot of attention a lot of brand building uh, a lot of media play and Ford likes that and that helps them indirectly mm -hmm. so so just to, to finish off then with with this kind of move towards SUVs and crossovers who do you think is the one to watch out of the Detroit three uh, for investors today um I like where GM is going right now, mm -hmm. uh, just just because their crossovers are very fresh. Uh, Fords are honestly a little bit dated right now. You know, the Escape is a few years old. The, the Explorer dates to 2011 or 2012. I'd have to go look at my notes, but but sometime. I mean, these have been refreshed and updated and so forth. But uh, you know, I know the Explorer and, and and has lost some sales to some extent against competitors like like the. The Toyota Highlander and so forth, which is a newer, fresher product. The Edge was is fairly recent, 2015. But GM has all of these crossovers coming out right at once. You know, mm -hmm. the GMCs came out uh, last year, and then over the winter, the, the Equinox uh, started shipping early this year. That's that's a, that's as we mentioned, a huge seller. Uh, the big Traverse is all new. It's much better looking. Uh, that's their seven-row vehicle that competes with vehicles like the Explorer, the Chevrolet Traverse. That's coming out this fall. The upscale version of that is the Buick Enclave. That's also coming out this fall. Uh, and then in luxury, uh, Cadillac only has one crossover right now. It was just a matter of they had to prioritize things, and they did the sedans first. And then the, as they did them, the market went towards crossovers. Well, that happens in the car business sometimes. Mm -hmm. But they have, I think, three more crossovers coming over the next two years. Those will be those will not be selling in giant numbers because luxury vehicles don't, but they will deliver a lot of profit per sale to GM. Uh, and those are those are products that will not just do well in the U.S. They'll also do well in China, uh, mm -hmm. which is also going nuts for crossovers, too, yeah. by the way. Yeah, it's, it seems like a worldwide phenomenon. But mm -hmm. OK, on that note, so then GM, probably a stock to watch. I'm sure we will uh, be talking on the show again about maybe uh, what we mentioned right at the start, AMD um, and mm -hmm. electric vehicles. Um, so thank you very much for joining me today, John. Thank you. Um, that is it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For John, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool.